Good morning and welcome to the Green Lake Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are so glad to have those of you here in person, as well as those watching online. Welcome. And thank you, Dr. Cleveland and the choir. Good to see all of you here. A couple of the things that I want to call your attention to, if you open up your bulletin, you will see that today is our next Crafternoon. So if you are inclined to be crafty, Join the group, the community here, and I think it's happening about once a month, and today is the next uh, example and opportunity for that. Craft Afternoon, you can read about the details there in the bulletin. The other thing that I want to highlight that just started last night, we've been talking about the next Bible study opportunity here at the church, and we are calling this The Young and the Rest of Us. What this means, again, is we are focusing on the collegiate demographic, as always, but that is not exclusive to the collegiate young adult group. We want everybody that wants to, to join us. And last night we kicked off our first Bible study, and it is on this parable of Jesus, where he talks about you cannot put new wine into old wineskins. There's lots of implications from that, and that's what we'll be studying. If you want to join that when you can, you can look in our bulletin or the email online, and each day there's an opportunity to kind of do a uh, devotion on that. And then on Friday nights at 7 p.m. in the fireside room, we gather together. So everyone is invited, young and old, please come if you're free on Friday nights at 7. Look through the bulletin for the next announcements, but at this time I would like to invite you to stand up and greet one another with a fellowship of peace. And when you hear the organ play, that is your sign that we will continue on with the next part of the service.
Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we invite your sweet, sweet spirit into this place. All of the cares, anxieties that we carry throughout the week at this time, we ask that you exchange them for your peace, your grace, and your mercy. Be with us now as we continue with our worship service, and we pray this in your name. Amen. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Romans 12, 6 through 8. <laughs> God has given everyone many gifts, and being able to give to those who need it is one of those gifts. Some people are called to give more, and some are called to give less but we are all called to give generously from the heart. The offering today goes toward Washington Youth Education. May we all give generously as God calls us to. Will the deacons please stand for prayer? Dear God, let us give generously as you have taught us to. Let us see that it is more blessed to give than to receive, for true joy comes from you. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your love. Amen.
everybody. Yeah, let's see if it's like that. Okay, we're going to start with some scriptures. Okay. First one is Ezekiel 4 9. Take thou also unto thee wheat and barley and beans and lentils and millet and seeds and put them in one vessel and make thee bread thereof. That's a lot of ingredients for a bread. I don't know that I've had a bread with that in uh, Let's see. Here is from Genesis. And Abram hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes upon the hearth. And finally, also from Genesis, from the Exodus, Pharaoh was angry with the two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So anybody detect what is the theme here of those three? Baking, bread, cakes, baking, that's right. That was very common back in Bible times. Uh, they estimate that people ate bread or cakes every day. So that, and people got, didn't go to bakeries, they made it themselves in their home. So baking a bread, that was a common activity that we, people were engaged in. And they used similar ingredients to what we do. They have wheat and water and yeast and uh, about, they used uh, barley about as much as wheat. And I don't know that I've had barley so if somebody can turn me on to how to get barley bread, I'd appreciate that. So here was common how the ovens were. So you see, they, they heated from below, and they heated, usually the fire was from sticks, wood, or dung. So if you know what dung is, that's uh, poop, dried. So like dried cow pies, there's actually a, um, a verse in the Bible where God is specifically asked for bread that's cooked in an oven heated by human dung, but we didn't include that. So here's, uh, here's how they cooked the, the bread. Let's say for a minute um, a, a word about yeast. So yeast is what makes the bread rise. And what they, when they made their dough and they put the dough in the pan to cook, they take some and set it aside and leave it out on the counter until the next time. And the yeast would come in from the air, and that's where they got the yeast, right from the air. In, but it takes time for that bread to rise. And so um, in the Exodus, God told the Israelites to eat unleavened bread. So bread that didn't rise, that didn't have yeast. It was just flat because they didn't have time to wait for the, the yeast, to the bread to rise. So that's what we call unleavened bread. You hear that a lot. And now, over 3,000 years later, the Jewish people still eat unleavened bread on Passover, which is their celebration of the Exodus. Okay, so what's the Mexico angle to all this? Uh, the Mexico angle is we have a bakery in our town. Let's see if I can pull this up. 
So it doesn't look like much. It's not a retail outlet. It's a wholesale. They make bread there, um, and they sell it to restaurants and street vendors and grocery stores. I'm probably the only person that actually goes in there and buys a few rolls and gives them a few pesos, um, but they indulge me. And what's interesting is that it's heated by wood. And it's the, I, I looked, there's I think a bakery that does bagels in wood, but there's no other bakeries in all of Seattle that heat their ovens with wood. And this is two blocks from our house. So it's pretty cool to go in there. Uh, Okay, so here, here's that showing them putting the stuff into that oven. Come on. And here's the finished products. So, pretty rustic place. Um, so, uh, I go in and get the bread. So, now, um, so anyway, that I thought that was pretty cool that right there we have an, uh, two blocks from our house, we have a bakery that makes all that stuff from, uh, and I must say about Mexican bakeries, people go to Mexico rave about the Mexican bakeries, and it's amazing how many products you can make with white flour and white sugar. Those are the two ingredients that they use. And, uh, so it's not health food. It is delicious, and it's great to experience that. So now you're thinking, hmm, Mr. Fairchild's giving us a story about bakeries. That must mean he's gonna hand out donuts. Uh, well, we don't allow food in the sanctuary, so we won't be doing that. But I did bring some in, and so if you see me in the chapel after the service, we'll be handing out some samples from a bakery here in Seattle. So, okay, that's our story, so get the blue buckets.
Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father who art in heaven, we, we are grateful, dear Lord, to be here. Thank you for blessing us all through the week. Thank you, Father, for waking us up this morning. When I thank you for the Sabbath, thank you, dear Lord, that you love us so much, that you bring us, O oh Lord, in your presence, guide us and lead us, O oh Lord, for your glory. We want to present in a special way, dear Lord, your children whose names, O oh Lord, are on the prayer list and the bulletin board. You know them, dear Lord, and you know their needs. We present them, dear Lord, that your will be done as you provide healing, as you bless them, my Father, according to your will. Thank you, Father. I'm going to present the preacher. The Lord, you, you bless them, dear Lord, and you speak through them. You prepare our minds, O oh, Father, to discern the message, O oh, Father, that they present. Indeed, O oh, Lord, that we walk as you ask of us. May the charge, O oh, Father, of social justice, O oh, Lord, be second to none. As we draw closer to home, as you speak to us, O oh, Father, in First John 4, 7, 8, that we love one another, O oh, Lord, as you have loved us. Thank you, Father. We present ourselves in your hands. Speak to us now, dear Lord, and may we, O oh Lord, follow as you guide us and lead us through it all. In Jesus' holy name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Testament reading is from Psalms chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun.
The New Testament reading today is from Roman chapter 1, verse 20. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his internal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. May the Lord bless the hearing of the word.
It has been a beautiful week here in Seattle. The trees are starting to blossom. The sun was out. We could see the mountains. And it's a reminder, as we go through this new series that we're on, one of the ways that we can connect with God is through nature. In this series on encountering God, we are inviting church members to share ways that they personally experience, connect with God. And as we were thinking about that, a person that came to mind in regards to how they connect with God through nature was David Lyons. So I'm going to invite David Ford now, and he's going to share just briefly before Raven gives her a sermon about how he experiences God through nature. And I have the, the clicker for you here too, David. About a year ago, I had the privilege of going with David out biking, and we had a great time together as he taught me some of the ropes. And I'm just thankful for uh, you being a church member and for being willing to share right now. So thank you, David. Thank you. Well, when they asked me if I was willing to talk about how to connect with God through nature, I initially wasn't sure if I was the person who was... Uh, what's the word, um, qualified enough to talk about this. But then I've started thinking about it, and I have been outside in nature my entire life. Um, as long as I can remember, uh, literally from the time I was maybe two, I've been outside almost constantly, be it Pathfinders, be it my own adventures. Um, granted, the majority of that time has been mountain biking, but I've done everything from snowboarding, rock climbing, caving, snowshoeing, mountain climbing, you name it, I've probably tried it at least once. And I love it. And I still spend nearly every day outside, even during the winter, in summer, spring, whatever. During all that time, I've seen all kinds of crazy things, some of them unexplainable, but all of them beautiful. And with all of that beauty, there is always something. It's kind of hard to explain. So I'm going to take you through a year, and I hope that by the end I can try to explain that something. So we're going to start with this picture. This was last spring in southern Utah. So I want you to try to picture this, put yourself there like I'm there. It's cool, it's about 50 degrees, but it's sunny. The wind is just a gentle breeze through the canyon. You're in the desert, it's southern Utah. But even though you're in the desert, everything is just damp. There's like a nice dampness to the sand, to the rock, because there's still spring rain constantly falling almost every night. And you have the snow melt coming off of the peaks there in the back. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of waterfalls down the length of the canyon. You see a big one off on the right there. And as you're walking through, you can smell the musty air from the water coming off of that snowmelt. And while you think that, oh, in the spring we're going to have flowers and greenery, I mean, we're in a desert, so there's plenty of greenery still going up the cliff walls, like emerald just kind of spider webbing up through the cliffs. And yet right there in the front, we have this tree that's covered in a thick layer of ice. Still, even though that the hardly ever gets down below freezing, there's this tree with inches of ice over all of it. And with that, the light hits it and filters through in prismatic rainbows all over the cliff wall. It's hard to get in the picture, but you can even see some of the rainbow coming through in that waterfall there. And while you're sitting there, you have the white noise of the waterfall coming down all around you. You can't really hear the birds, but you can see them. But you can't help but just feel something. But let's move on. Spring gets a little bit warmer as we move on towards summer. And as the spring days get warmer, you get more flowers, you get more greenery, you get more wildlife. You get places like this where you have the beautiful red lava rock canyons with green as far as you can see. You can see the emerald and jade color of the trees and the bushes growing up through the canyon walls. 
a distant waterfall. You can smell the brush and the flowers all around you, and you hear the wildlife. In this case, you'd hear wild chickens all around you. If you, any of you guys know where you might hear wild chickens and have red lava rock, this is Hawaii. If you haven't been, I highly recommend it. So you're sitting there, and you can hear the breeze gently blowing through the canyon. And while you think Hawaii, you might think tropical beaches, not a desert. But yet, at the same time, even though you have this almost desertous canyon, you can still smell the ocean. There's just something there. But let's move on. The spring turns into summer and it gets warmer and warmer. And then here in the Pacific Northwest, we have our long, hot summer days. And yet, you get up here above the tree line. All right, this picture's taken in Whistler, British Columbia, looking south across the valley uh, towards Black Tusk, if you've ever been. And I'm sitting here at about 7,000 feet. And yet everything is green. You can see the sapphire and color of the green grass coming all the way up to the tree line and the trees down below us there. And you can smell the alpine air, which if you haven't been up to that high before, it smells different. It feels different than down here at sea level. And it's hard to explain until you actually experience it, but it just feels and smells fresher. But not just the air, you can actually smell the dust and the dirt, and it's not gross. The dirt is beautiful. It almost tastes good when you smell it and when you feel it. There's just something about it that's just different. And then we come back here to Washington, and the summers just get longer and longer, you know, the sun comes up before 5 o'clock, it goes down after 9 p.m., and it gets hot during the days, and of some of those springtime flowers start to fade a little bit, but our summer flowers, they seem to last almost all summer long. You get up here, this is on uh, Rattlesnake Mountain, looking towards Mount Rainier there, and you can just see the beautiful young forest there that was once a clear cut is now the thriving uh, smorgasbord of trees and flowers as far as you can see and when you get down and you look at the dirt and you can see the little ants crawling around in perfect unison getting their stuff done and you see the bees flying around between all these beautiful purple flowers you can smell them the air is actually palpably sweet and then it, this is during dragonfly mating season so there's thousands of dragonflies that just sound like little helicopters flying around and they're not small maybe 10 inches long some of them and we're out there, and there's just something. You just, it's quiet. All you hear is the breeze, and it's just something. But unfortunately, summer gives way to fall, and this is when most people like to go inside, and you want to sit in front of a fireplace with a book underneath a blanket, right? I'd rather be out here because you have a different kind of beauty. It might be rainy. It's cloudy. It's overcast. This is down in Longview, Washington. You see humidity is probably 95, 100% humidity. It's raining in the picture. It's kind of hard to tell. But you have the mist over the mountains behind you. you got the clouds down underneath us in the trees. The dirt has turned to mud. And while you want to try to avoid the mud normally, get down and look in the mud. Step in the mud. See what's in it. There's bugs. There's life in the mud there. There's a tree here on the left. There's a dead fallen tree there. And you think, oh, it's ugly because it's a dead tree. But get close and look at the tree. There are thousands, millions, potentially billions of life forms inside that tree living their entire existence, being born, living a life, and dying all in that tree. There's beauty in that dead tree. Not only that, is there beauty all around you there. I have a friend who I've been taking mountain biking. He's a coworker. He's not Christian, per se. Uh, he's not really spiritual, per se. He's not, he doesn't believe in a God, especially, let alone in the way you and I believe in a God. But we've been going out mountain biking in all kinds of weather, rain, shine. We even went out in the snow once. And we're out there in the middle of nowhere. 
in the quiet. All we hear are the ravens roosting in the trees above. Right now it's, it's raven mating season, so there's ravens everywhere. And we're out there listening to the ravens, and we're listening to the, the rain fall on the trees. And he's like, I can see why the Native Americans felt like the forest and the animals have a spirit. This whole forest feels spiritual, feels mystical, like there's magic in the trees. And this guy, he's not Christian. He doesn't believe like we believe. And yet, even he feels the spirituality in the forest. He just can't explain it. So what is that something? So if I feel that something, and I know he feels that something, is it the same something? Unfortunately, fall gives way to winter, and then everything gets covered under a thick blanket of snow. And if any of you have been out in the snow, you know the snow dampens all the sound, and it smells different. You can smell the snow. You can feel it in the air. This picture is on the I-90 corridor looking south. And it's, I think, when this we took this, it was uh, negative 8 or 9 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, so it's pretty cold. It's cold enough so that your, your exhale freezes as it leaves. Uh, your eyelids start to freeze a little bit. Um, not dangerously cold, but it's very cold. And it's beautiful because you're standing up there on top of this mountain and you're looking out and you're above the clouds and it's silent. There's no noise because the snow eats it all. And it feels like the snow is like a refresh to blanket everything and start over again for the next year. And I start thinking about my, my buddy, Nick, and thinking about how somebody who's not a Christian, who's not spiritual, can feel that connection. He just can't explain it. So those of us who are Christian, who can't explain it, maybe that something is that still small voice that Elijah felt when God was trying to talk to him in the wilderness. He wasn't in the big wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. He was in that still voice, in that quiet voice. So maybe when we go out in the wilderness, when we go out into nature, if we stop and we listen and we look for that little life in the mud puddles and in the dead trees, and we look for the little bugs crawling around, and we look out at the small little intricacies of nature, instead of always just, oh, yeah, it's a nice day, actually take time to sit and listen and look. That something will manifest as God's voice. At least it has in my life. William remembers going fishing for the first time around three or five years old. His father and brother off the banks of Chattanooga River in Georgia with his first tackle box and a Zebco fishing rod in tow. He was excited and hopeful to catch more fish than his older brother. Years later, he still carries his passion for being on the water with early morning fish outings on the weekend or during holiday breaks. Though he says there's never a bad time to be out on the boat. A successful day on the water for Williams includes a day of inshore fishing, taking advantage of great fishing holes, and the ease of using a smaller boat. It is in these moments that even if Williams doesn't catch anything worth keeping for that day, he is grateful for the time and joy of being surrounded by God's creation. Williams says, it's being in nature that I am reminded of God's goodness, having the opportunity to just be still on the water gives me the chance to be in God's presence. 
Like prayers, he says, sometimes you end the day with a couple of keepers, and then there are some days when you must be patient and come back later to try again. Like many experiences in life, fishing has taught him patience. He loves fishing with his family and friends, but he also likes his solo trips. Through his spiritual walk, he has learned to just place the things that he cannot control in God's hands and just be present on the water. Throughout this series, we've had the chance to discover the places that we can experience and encounter God. We get to hear from our very own church members. Today, we got to hear from David and his beautiful experience about God through the seasons. And I hope that you have had the chance and opportunity to experience God in nature. Jesus himself, while on earth, sought out solitude many times with God. But two in particular, we definitely know took place in nature. In Luke chapter 4, after Jesus was baptized, he spent 40 years, 40 days, praying in the wilderness. And in Luke 22, hours before he was arrested, he went to the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane, which would have been surrounded by beautiful olive trees. Even though we have examples of Jesus seeking God in nature, it's not the easiest to explain how to experience God through nature. And I think David demonstrated that really well by saying, it's different. Often, when you experience God in nature, it's not in the form of miracles or direct answers to prayer. It's not really through scripture or any kind of art we can create with our hands or voice. Experiencing God through nature is an abstract event. I also would like to share with you how I have experienced God in nature. A place that I will never forget is a place called Leone Meadows Summer Camp. It is in Northern California, and it is a huge summer camp, probably three times the size of Sunset Lake, and I'm not even sure I've seen all of the summer camp. I have been nearly a dozen times, and each time I go, I encounter God. No matter where I go, if I walk out to the cross amongst the trees, the pond or the train tracks, I sit and I soak up the presence of God. I look at the trees in front of me, the expansive land, and the community behind me. It is a place that I cannot deny God. Experiencing God through nature is unique in that way. My dad and I also would go camping almost every year, and once you do that, you eventually develop a favorite spot. There was hiking and big bodies of water to swim and kayak in and jumps to jump off of, or rocks to jump off of, and it was truly so fun. And when I look back, the moments that meant the most to me were those moments where I sat by the water and felt that overcoming presence and overcoming stillness of God. Those places are part of my journey and walk with God. And I told you last time that I also find God often in music, which is why I like to share lots of lyrics with you. And in that space, in the water, in the ripples, year after year, the same song appeared in my mind. 
You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown where feet may fail. There I find you in the mystery. In oceans deep, my faith will stand. Your grace abounds in deepest waters. You've never failed, and you won't start now. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. That was always my prayer. That even though the things around me seem so big and I am so small, a reminder that we are part of God's creation. All of this in the image of God. Created and crafted, detailed and disorganized, focused and found. Praying that God would take me farther than I could ever wander. I will never be able to fathom why God, who said, let there be light, let there be bodies of water, let dry ground appear, let the land produce vegetation with trees and bushes and sprouts, let there be light to separate the day from night so that we could have time and seasons. God said, let there be birds and sea creatures and land animals. I'll never understand how God created all of that and still created you and me. God saw how amazing and good all of this was. The redwood trees that stand 300 feet tall and are 18 feet around, a flower in every color, shape, and size. Some beautiful and pickable, others poisonous. God made all of these animals, some that don't even exist anymore, some that are really strange looking, some that are really cuddly, some that are so intelligent that they send messages to each other through waves in their brains instead of talking. And then there are some animals that would stop our existing food chains, extinct tons of plants, cause a food shortage if they were to go extinct. All of those ecosystems are inter interdependent on each other. And God did all of that. It's sort of no wonder, sort of like David said with his friend, why the ancient Near East made gods out of nature. Gods of the sun and the moon, the storm and the sea. We are able to see through God the interconnected ecosystem that you can't pull on just one string without everything else coming undone with it. There's a picture I want to show you on the screen. It is a mushroom, if we can have it. It's this beautiful mushroom. This is uh, somewhat recently discovered in the last few years. It is cute, it's a good size, it's found in Taiwan. It's unlike any kind of mushroom I've really seen before. And I, it's just a beautiful picture. But if we go to the next slide, we see just how incredibly small it is. It belongs to a rare species of fungi that is one of the smallest mushrooms in the world. And compared to this finger, the mushroom is hardly visible. It's microscopic. 
It has a button that is about one millimeter tall. It's just a baby. Perhaps more strange is that this species of mushrooms are actually poisonous. How can something so itty bitty, so small, be so bad? It is incredible to me that the God was able to put such detail into all of these things. For creation to be able to work together and be dependent on each other. God looked at the stunning work that, it, that they did and still decided that humans needed to be thrown in the mix. As you sit beneath the trees with the expansive land laid out in front of you, what more could there be? The breeze flows and the flowers stand tall, and as the sun sets, the flowers follow the sun. Views like that make the invisible God visible. Paul said in Romans, since the creation of the world, we have been able to see it clearly, that God lies within creation. We are without excuse to know that there is something out there bigger than us. Even the father of National Parks, John Muir, says, full of God's thoughts, a place of peace and safety amid the most exalted grandeur and enthusiastic action, a new song, a place of beginnings, abounding in the first lessons of life, mountain building, eternal, invincible, unbreakable order with sermons in stones, storms, Trees, flowers, and animals brimful with humanity. John Muir was able to see and define the word of God within the stones, the trees, the flowers, and animals. So that people are without excuse for knowing God. As we go throughout the series, I want you to know that experiencing God looks different for everyone, and that there is no right way, and there is no one way, we are merely highlighting some of the ways you could encounter the divine. Each are worth discovering, and even if you know in your walk how you experience God, I want you to be encouraged to try more ways of experiencing God. If you have not experienced God through nature yet, go out today, it's a beautiful day, and experience the creation God has created. And if you have never experienced God, I encourage you to spend time in each of the things that we're talking about in the series and find the one who created all of this and still thought the world needed you.